Hello and welcome to the Conifer Community Church podcast. Today we are going to look at another verse of scripture. And we have in this season, we have a theme going on. And that theme is a mystery theme. Um, So if you would like to solve the mystery and listen to each of the podcasts and figure out the common theme that is going throughout this season, you can send a guess into conifercc at gmail.com, and we would love to hear from you on that. And then also, if you do figure out the theme, then we would like to hear from you and suggestions for a theme coming up in um, future podcast seasons. And so we would love to include you in that, those who solve the mystery. Well, today we are um, together, Wesley Humes and I, and uh, this is Lance Swearingen, pastor at Conifer Community Church. And well, hello, Lance. And hello, Wes. Gosh, <laughs> what an exciting moment. This is the first duo yep. podcast with the two of us, isn't yep. it? It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, and we're gonna just uh, dialogue here across the table. And gosh, you I'm guys. Excited. Yep, you guys get to just listen in on our discussion around this. And as we begin, let me just uh, kind of frame this particular verse. This is um, a verse from Matthew chapter eighteen. And the way that I have heard this verse used, and, and probably used this verse um, in, in the past, is many times in a worship service setting. Um, I remember worship leaders just saying, you know, when, when we are together, the presence of God is among us, mm. which is, um, you know, a true statement. And uh, we know from God's Word that God's Spirit is with us, each of us as as believers, and so um, seems almost obvious that the um, Spirit of God would be with us as we worship as a group. Yeah. But here is the verse that is cited usually in this. It says, "For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst, or there I am among them." And uh, you know, a lot of times that's used as kind of that comfort that. Um, as we sing together with one voice, as we um, pray together, and we we join in that unity of God's Spirit, then His presence is is there among us in a special way for those times of worship. And so, you know, the question is: is that um, is that what this verse is about? Is that um, what? the Gospel of Matthew is is trying to get across to God's people. Um, is this a call to worship? Um, and and we want to just kind of explore that today. Wes, have you heard it before? How have you thought about it before um, in terms of when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them? You know, I've, I've experienced it a lot uh, with camp ministry, again, uh, in a worship setting, just to uh, get the juices flowing, as they would say, to make sure we really usher in the Spirit of the Lord. That's um, why we're going to conjure up a moment, right? It, yes, we're going to see the Lord really do His thing here. Uh, we're going we're gonna to just dive into it. Um, but yeah, I think in a lot of ways, it's more been used as a place of saying, uh, hey, we are more than two. Um, we're two or more gathered. We're we're stepping into that, and I've used it or seen it in some worship places um, to say that there are more than two people present. So clearly, the spirit of God 
is there because we have more than two believers and we're saying, yes, here we go. We're diving in um, and ready to go into the throne room. And so I think that's something that I've seen a lot is um, and also in a in a real way of seeing where two people are having a conversation about the spirit of God um, and then them maybe have a space where they aren't fully understanding the reality of the situation. I've had it with kids before, and I've used this verse even in saying like, hey, while we're having a conversation, the Lord is with us because we are two believers having a conversation, so it does mean something. Yeah. And so, so, I think, so not just like a large setting, a large group setting, but just an individual conversation is what you're saying. Yeah, because, I mean, if we're talking about the Spirit of God as a whole, I think especially within the world of youth ministry, you feel that uh, when the double bass pedals come in, you're in the middle of a big worship hall um, at camp or at a big celebration of sorts. That's when you're like, oh, the Spirit of God is here, but he's not in other places. He's not in these small smaller conversations. Yep, yep. There is nothing like the uh, the rumble of a subwoofer to feel the presence of God, mm. right? Yes, 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 and amen. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, that's that's been a lot of the experience is that when it, that verse yeah. has been used in a corporate setting, when two or more gather, there I am in their midst, which is a true statement because where believers are, there's that's where God is. God is present with us, among us. And and truly, God is is everywhere. He's That's a, one of the attributes of God, that he is um, in all things. And so, you know, it, it shouldn't be an unusual thing that we have to um, call people back into um, this particular idea. But, you know, there was a little bit of a surprise for me when I read the entire context or when I realized what um, what Jesus was saying in um, this teaching, when he was um, instructing about um, what to do and, and, and how it was being used in particular for um, the discussion around where God's presence is involved. The corporate setting gives you a sense of comfort. It gives you a sense of warmth. um, It gives you a sense of encouragement. Um, This one is probably a much more um, strong use, the way that Jesus uses it in Matthew 18. It's a much stronger picture of God's presence needing to be present um, then, then you know, just kind of a comfort and encouragement in the way that we sing songs together in a worship setting. It's something, something maybe a little bit more harsh, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit stronger yeah. that um, that we hear within that. Yeah, I think you even see this in verse three. If I can quickly read this, is I'm reading from the NIV, so it might be different than a translation you have heard before. It says, "Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become more like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven." And that just feels strong. Like, how many times do we hear in our our current uh, environment and in our current culture that to become to get in somewhere we have to be more childlike unless it's disney world i don't really think there's anywhere else we come where we're like oh we got to be more kid-like in order to enter into and so i think this is jesus really using some strong words aside from just being like oh we're two or more gathered there we are there's the lord yeah and that and that uh strength of what jesus is saying 
pushes in even further because, you know, that is talking about not being a stumbling block for um, those who would be seeking to know God, um, not being someone that stands in the way of them learning and growing and flourishing in what God would have for them. But when there is a breakdown in um, relational presence, mm-hmm. it's it's what Jesus is talking about here is in the in the context of conflict. When conflict happens, there is a breaking of the relationship, the relationship between two people, and it's it's almost like there is a pushing out of the presence of God because I'm going to hold on to my. Um, tension. I'm going to hold on to the um, anger that I have, or I'm going to hold on to my own position rather than building um, the unity or um, the commonality that we may have. And that unity is a part of, I think, the presence of God that we um, need to see between us as humans. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting space, and I almost want to call a timeout for a second, because yeah. I think what we're, what I'm hearing you say, Lance, is that all of a sudden, we're, we are reaching for this verse to be like, hey, this is a cool and inspiring thing that really just invites us into community. But instead, it's something much more harsher or much more uh, stronger that we are stepping into. Is that kind of what I'm hearing you say? It is, yeah. Okay. It's, it's, it's much, much stronger than just simply an, an encouragement. Yeah, and that actually reminds me of something pretty funny. So Grandpa John, uh, God rest his soul. So my grandfather died at the ripe old age of 93, um, which is incredible to get to that many years. On we all earth. would love to make it at least to 93, wouldn't we? Amen. <laughs> amen. Yes and amen. But we'll see. You know, we have the kingdom of heaven coming to us once we leave this earth. So that's always a strong thing. But when uh, Y2K happened, for those of you who remember that boldly or maybe weren't even born yet, I was eight years old and remember uh, coming in during Y2K, that was kind of our big family tradition is we always took New Year's Day off and just laid around the house and did our thing. But an interesting thing happened. I was, at, I was with my grandpa, John, um, and he had gone to the store and he got what he thought was sparkling grape juice to give to the kids because me and my fellow cousins were, you know, between the ages of 15 to me and my other cousins were all born in the same year, two of my cousins. And so we were all seven or eight years old. And he comes in, you know, countdown's happening and he starts pouring out these little glasses, you know, the little plastic solo cups or, uh, you know, the little clear the little one. plastic champagne glasses. Yes, yes, yes. This is exactly. Uh, but we were doing grape juice because uh, sparkling champagne is ooh, but grape juice is awesome. But it was interesting because he he poured it, he poured it out, and we all took a drink. And my oldest cousin looks at him, and goes, "Grandpa John, what uh, what kind of grape juice did you get us?" And he looks at the bottle and realizes it was a Cabernet, <laughs> and he had uh, given us a a wine by accident. And I kind of feel like this is what this is a similar space because, in a lot of ways, we're reaching for a good. You know, we're trying to encourage, we're trying to 
bring people in, make them feel included into a worship setting. But in actuality, this this passage is speaking to something much stronger, much more intense than us being like, yay, Jesus. Woo, Jesus is in the presence. Woo, yay, God, yep. as Dr. Winnig would say. That, yeah, right. That is, um, yeah, we, we, we want it to be that point of celebration, um, but this is almost a, a, a point of difficulty that Jesus pushes into. And uh, let me just back up and read a little bit of the context here um, leading into it, backing up to verse 15 in Matthew chapter 18. It says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others among you, and that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a, and a tax collector. I, I mean, that's, that's much more harsh than, um, or, or much stronger message than um, let's all get together and, and sing our favorite worship song. I mean, this is, this is when tension has bro- broken out, when, you know, it says your brother has sinned against you, when there has been some violation um, within the relationship, whether, you know, maybe you've been lied to, maybe um, someone has talked behind your back. Um, any number of things can, can really break down the context of a relationship, and that's what Jesus is pushing in on, is that the, the, the presence of God has been broken within the context of, of community. And, um, you know, we, we look at it as, in some ways, a, kind of an individual thing that I want to feel the warmth of God's presence, but this is where we have almost um, pushed out the presence of God from the context of, of a relationship. Yeah, and I think even as you read that, uh, something that popped into my head is both, we like to look at this as both the person who is coming to the sinner um, and the person who is committing the sin. Because I know whenever I've been called out and used this passage to say, hey, this is why something is going wrong. Excuse me. But we see, I know in my own space, I have immediately stopped and gotten defensive and said, no, that's not me. That's not my reason. The reason you're upset, it's on you. And I think that's an interesting place that we can see how people can get super defensive whenever you're caught in something. How do you respond? Because I know for me, it's normally a lashing out against the person, not owning it, and just simply either discarding it or not even taking it seriously. But I think what we get the invitation to do is even as we step away and think as somebody has brought something against us or let us know that we have a chance to be like a child and forgive and ask for forgiveness in this space. And I think, I don't know, I feel like that was speaking to the context of saying like, how have we also like taking us into our current conversation in 2020? How do we deal with that? Because even in this, we see in other spaces in scripture, if you want to look at Corinthians uh, six, where, you know, they was getting so bad, some of the issues within the church that people were taking each other to court. Uh, I believe that's first uh, Corinthians six fifteen perhaps. Um, but I know it's first Corinthians six where Christians were taking in the early church, were taking each other to court instead of handling it 
together. And Paul speaks into that and says, hey, you need to go to your brother um, and work this out. Yeah, we have a responsibility to work towards that unity of spirit, which is not just a unity between um, believers, but it's it's a unity that actually affirms the spirit of God um, is is present among them, which is which is I think the point of what Jesus is is working towards in this. It um, it also is a particular expression of the church itself. So if you go back historically, um, back in ancient times as the church was being formed, um, there were particular marks of the church defining characteristics that made um, a church a church um, rather than just a social organization. Mm -hmm. And a part of that was um, you see within the, the creeds, um, you see that the church was this this fourfold um, picture of of what it was to be. It was one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. So um, there was a there was a sense in which just working backwards from that, the apostolic feature was that that we are identified with the teaching of the apostles. That we are the ones who are sent out by God to proclaim His gospel. To the world, also um, Catholic, and and that Catholic is not in a denominational sense, but in 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 a universal sense that we are to be the the universal expression of the presence of God within within this world. Um, holy is is that that we are to be particularly God's people, and that we are one. So that unity of of spirit is is where people should experience the presence of God. As that moves forward into um, the time of the Reformation, um, three different marks kind of emerged out of that and, and focusing around the pro proclamation of God's Word and the preaching of God's Word. So that was one of the uh, marks of, of the church was that there was preaching, um, also that there was um, the sacraments, the proper um, disbursement of the sacraments, and then also church discipline. So church discipline being that expression of how we work out unity in the context of conflict, and Matthew 18 is the defining mark of how we get toward that um, confronting of the things that have divided us, and then also reestablishing what is meant to be, which is the unity of God's Spirit. Yeah, and I think one of the things you talked about within unity I find it interesting because we get this idea of unity in our present context where we are all worshiping together. It does not matter what we look like, what gender we are, or even what um, race we are, that we are, you know, Christ is calling us into unity. And we in 2020 see that clearly that that's what that means. But I think even in the times of Jesus, we see a a racially charged thing because you have Jew and Gentile, two very different people who would not sit together normally. They would not be together. They would not eat together. There would be slave and master. Um, there are so many places where we see that scripture calls out the differences that the church is going through. So to be unified is also to lay down our different things that disunify us. So the things that are breaking us apart, the things that are tearing us apart, they would lay them down in order so that the church can be one. Because we also have to remember, um, in the context of early Rome, the church was not big. 
Uh, it was maybe a thousand or so people, maybe a little bit more, uh, but it didn't. It steadily grew. But in those early years of what the context that we're reading of in the first century of the early church, the church was not a big entity. Um, and so we see that for them to be unified was even more important because there was not many of them. They had to push everything aside so that they could come together in this one unity sense. Because I think that word is such a buzzword unity in our culture right now. In the current place of we're recording this in September of 2020, that idea of unity uh, feels such a buzzword right now that I'm seeing uh, throughout yeah. our context. It's a, it's a buzzword because we see almost the opposite <laughs> in in the world around us. Yeah. You know, in, in the culture around us, there is racial division, there is political division, um, it, just a, a lot of different things that are that are happening in in a very polarizing way, and um, you know the encouragement from Scripture, and I think the encouragement for today is that we as the church have a responsibility to um, show how um, we are one as humans, um, but also as being humans, reflecting the image of God, and 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 showing how we can be one as God's people and expressing his presence um, for the world around us. Yeah, Lance. So when we talk about that, and I'm thinking, how can we, I guess the next question comes into, how do we take what Jesus said over 2,000 years ago and transplant it into 2020? What is that what does that look like? And I think the first thing that answered into my question or my brain was, if we have an issue or problem with with somebody, I think what this is calling us to do is to go to them. We go to that individual versus I think our culture is telling us to air it out on Facebook or to do it on Twitter or do it as publicly as possible. When you have a grievance with somebody, you almost you don't keep it quiet, but you're you're said, hey, you should go at least in the youth realm, you go slam them on Twitter, social media, Instagram, and you're more ugly to them or you subtweet them or talk about them without actually tagging them in it. But instead, I feel like this verse is calling us to say, hey, we go to the person and we do this face to face. Yep. Yeah, I think it's a very um, um, face to face type of thing, voice to voice, um, person to person. And recently I've seen um, Tim Keller has been talking about how we have a tendency in, in our time to take someone on the other side of any aisle and de, um, dehumanize and demonize them as, as a person. So attack their character rather than try to sit down and, and discuss differences in how we come together. So when you say demonize, are you meaning that you want to uh, find their worst qualities and say that's what we're that's the only thing I see them as? Like, what do you mean by demonizing? I feel like that's a word we throw around a lot, but yeah. no one really has context for it. You know, I think demonizing is is when I try to when I hear something that I disagree with and I just go on the attack and I try to make them look like the worst person in the world like they have done this incredible violation of of anything um that is good or right or moral and so demonizing is is really trying to identify them with satan i guess yeah um is is a way that i would would describe that sweet 
Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing of the conversation, uh, especially as we turn to, you know, different things online or uh, back to that place of when people are bringing this to us. So when somebody is bringing a, hey, I have noticed this in your life and this is something that you're bringing on. I think the first thing that I think of is how to point it out, like you were saying, their own faults and point out what's wrong with them. And I call it turtle mode. So if you remember the master of disguise, whenever he went to the turtle club and you have a big <laughs> shell around you, you go, turtle, turtle. Uh, but you go inside your turtle and you become defensive. But I don't think that's what Christ is calling us to do. I think what Christ is calling us to do, because, again, in the NIV, uh, the language he uses here is childlike, being able to listen. Um, I'm not a parent myself, but I, I, I work with students and I work with young kids, and I think that's one of the things that defines a young child is they, their ability to listen to you um, as an authority figure, as somebody who's coming to them. Because I wouldn't even say, like with high schoolers, I'm not really even their authority figure, but I come to them as a friend and say, hey, this is something I've noticed, and I just want to hear what you want to talk about uh, within that. And so I think this idea of becoming... Uh, like a little child, is making us more humble as people are coming to us and as we're approaching other people. Yeah. So, yeah, so, uh, you know, he's talking in, in terms of those who are in authority. He's, he's talking about, you know, going to someone who has violated you and, and confronting that directly. Um, but certainly you could carry that out to say, what if I'm the one who has created the violation, Right. And, the, and there is a piece of this that should um, not only be willing to confront person to person, but then also a, a, a willingness to walk through and, and humbly examine um, my own position or maybe my own part in what a conflict, uh, what conflict has happened. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I love your wording that you just said. When you have recognized that you have done something to somebody else, whether they recognize it or not, I think that's a really cool piece where we today do not do that well. We can always get better. We are striving to get better as a community, but saying, hey, I think I wronged you because I know um, I've had this with you, Lance, before where you've come to me and said, hey, I said a comment when we were in a social situation and I didn't think it was appropriate, so I want to ask for your forgiveness. And in that particular time, there was something that no, didn't even bother me. He made a great single joke um, about how I got to go home, or I was saying I was going home, and he was like, yeah, you do get to go home, <laughs> or something on that uh, place. But we, we had a moment where Lance recognized in himself, and I've seen him model this, where it was like, oh, I have done something wrong, and so I'm going to step into it. And... Uh, address it. And even in that context, um, I know that I didn't have any issues with it, but I've had situations in my own life where I recognize I've said some hateful things to people, or as my mother from the deep South would say, some ugly things to people. Don't be ugly. <laughs> um, but where I've had to come and I initiated some of this, where I had to own what I did, and it did hurt their feelings. But here's the thing. I think just like a wound or a virus in our body, um, and I think in a lot of ways, this is what the church is talking about. It was not able to fester. It was not able to grow into despair or anger. It was just stayed at this wounding place. And so we were able to repair the damage that we had done. Yeah. And, and something, you know, even another layer that you brought up inside of that is is just being aware of 
of the conviction within your own life, the, the way that God's Spirit is convicting you. So, you know, when I talk to you, whenever I sat down with you in that situation you described, and I just, just and I just, I, I, from what I remember, I just said, hey, I said something, and I feel like it was completely inappropriate, and I won't do that again. Um, you thought that it was a funny joke when, when I had made it, um, and, and you weren't particularly offended, but, but I, in my own spirit, felt a division because I felt like I had violated something mm-hmm. between us. Um, and so, you know, following through on, on that conviction is important. Even though you weren't necessarily offended by that, yeah. there, was, there was a sense of God's presence between us once I got that out and off my chest, that I was no longer distracted by that. Mm, and so, and so, when I was no longer distracted by that, and I was able to just, you know, I, I didn't, I, I didn't think, oh, I wonder if he's thinking about this. I wonder if he was offended by that. I wonder if, you know, we we play out all of those conversations in our head. But you know, once it was out there and everything was quote unquote reconciled. Um, there was there was no looking back onto that. It was no longer a distraction for me, which obviously it was only a distraction for me at that point. Yeah. But God's presence was affirmed in inside of that particular time. Yeah, because I'm even contemplating what it means to. Because I would say that that conviction, especially when it comes to a brother, is coming from the Holy Spirit of what it takes to make it right or okay as we are having these things is we work together, but even if this was uh, somebody random that goes to our church or a leader or something else, um, being able to address it is huge because we've seen um, just different areas where, yeah, it just, it can fester and create division because it wasn't addressed quickly. And I think I've seen that happened in my own life because I'm not afraid to step into to saying I'm wrong or to controversy where some people are. And so I think that's a a hard balance of like, what if you are afraid of conflict? What if you are afraid of admitting that you're wrong? Um, And I think there is such a relief because I've become more okay with this because of the relief of knowing that it is settled because the unresolve is what drives me nuts more than anything. Yes. More than the conflict. Yes. And, and I think even recognizing that fear is a natural reaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you anybody who violates a relationship or you know breaks trust or does something that offends someone else, I mean, there there is a fear inside of that. Like, what if I have ruined that relationship? What if um, what if we can't get past this? You know, there are natural fears, but but I think what is important for us to do inside of following the guidance of, of Jesus in Matthew 18 is that that um, God calls us to overcome that sense of fear and to walk into, maybe lean into that fear a little bit, trusting more in God than we are in those negative emotions. Yeah. Um, as we finish up here, I want to just... Um, kind of bring us around to these last verses that lead into verse 20. It says, Truly I say to you, whenever you bind on earth, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two 
of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And then he finishes, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So, so what Jesus is encouraging is, is the confrontation and the humbling of a relationship that has been broken to a point of reconciliation, and where reconciliation is found physically um, between two people, person to person, or a group of people, um, where reconciliation is found, there is a special sense of God's presence in and among that, because what we are doing there is the same thing that is happening in heaven that Christ has accomplished on the cross and reconciling us to God. We are the ambassadors to be able to proclaim and, and exemplify what reconciliation is to be. And so in the agreement of people on earth and the unity that is there, reconciliation um, that, that can be present, there is a special measure of God's presence. And then that kind of brings us back around to where you know, some of this was originally experienced in the context of worship. You know, it's meant to be a sense of comfort, a sense of of goodness, uh, a sense of excitement and inspiration, maybe. Mm. And and that is what is accomplished whenever we have people living together in unity. When when reconciliation happens, there is that um, sense of goodness and comfort and inspiration that can happen. So what you're saying is, is that just because we both want Alabama to go 0 and 10 in this upcoming football season, and we agree on it, it's not going to happen potentially. <laughs> that, that that is uh, that is one way to look at it, Wes. <laughs> yes, um. <laughs> because it's ultimately coming back to again. This is seen within the full context of Scripture. Um, I know that was a funny joke, but yeah. it was just truly trying to point to looking at everything within the whole context and and pointing it to that everything comes back to college football right mm-hmm. which Amen. Go something that we both know to be true right <laughs> absolutely yeah right um well anyways i hope um this this time has been a blessing for you i hope that you know in in your moments of of hearing the conviction of god's spirit that you follow in that conviction you lean into the fear mm that you have those hard conversations that may be in front of you and allow God's Spirit and His presence to work through you in, in the midst of that tension so that um, when reconciliation is established, when um, unity has returned, you get a, a sense of what God's presence looks like in your life and in the life of those relationships that that you may have. Um, again, let me return to there is a theme that is going through this season for um, season two of our podcast at Conifer Community Church. If you can figure out the mystery theme that is there after listening to a few of these um, episodes, you email that into conifercc at gmail.com and uh, also giving any suggestions that you may have for themes in the future, things that you would like to hear about or um, things that you would like to hear us discuss. Um, so this has been a good time, uh, you know, yeah, a unique time since dialogue between the two of us rather than just kind of a monologue that we that we have been doing in some of these um, podcast episodes. So Yeah, and um, if you appreciated it, please let us know because it's pretty easy for us to work out to do more of a conversational uh, 
podcast rather than just each individual sitting solo. So let us know what you think on this particular episode. Yep. And this one has been a little bit longer as well. So, uh, you know, I mean, you put two of us together, two two preachers together, and uh, you're going to get a long-winded response. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. But I think it was fun and definitely... um, you know, it was interesting to be able to rap and sit here and hang out together. So I'm good if you're good. We're very good. Yeah. You guys have a great day and uh, hope all things go well. May God's grace and his peace be with you. And may reconciliation be within your relationships and you may experience the presence of God. Blessings to you all. <laughs>